Hey, this is Bob Nelbandian from the Shockwaves Hard Radio Podcast, the Shockwave Skull Sessions Podcast, and the Shockwaves Videocast, and you are tuned in to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, and welcome to yet another episode of Focus on Metal. So before we get into everything that we planned this week, or actually, truly, everything we didn't plan this week, just want to address the elephant in the room and uh, just recognize just the uh, incredible loss that we had with uh, with Eddie passing away, and uh, we definitely do recognize that here at Focus on Metal. Richie actually hit me up and asked about, you know, you want me to come down, we can do something. And and I opted to basically be a little bit more respectful, figuring that there's so many things out there right now that are just utilizing that tragedy as uh, as clickbait, essentially, and and driving traffic. And and I don't want to be part of that, and I'm sure that Richie doesn't either. So we just opted to instead kind of handle it more like we did with Martin Birch, which was kind of wait a little bit and then be able to have a more thoughtful episode and maybe with a little different vein and so that's kind of the plan for that right now, but uh, definitely huge loss. You're talking to a massive VH fan here, as you probably know if you listen to the show for any length of time, or uh, even if you looked at my truck and saw a giant 5150 emblazoned on the back, uh, definitely a huge hit for me. been a fan of uh, Eddie's playing ever since that first album, and actually as I'm sitting here, I'm wearing my 1980 VH tour shirt. But if you do feel like you want to get immersed in some VH audio, then I would highly recommend that you go over to our our buddies over at Mars Attacks. And that's over at MarsAttacksRadio.com. And get over there and check out episode number 46, which is an incredible one that Victor put together all about VH2. So again, Richie and I will get to something on Van Halen in the coming weeks, but for right now, like I said, being respectful, we don't want to be part of the clickbait, but this awesome episode that Victor put together years ago, I think that will most definitely satisfy your wanting to hear something about Van Halen, and uh, that, I think, will hit you solid. So when I talk about planned and unplanned this week, this week's episode is actually not the episode that I recorded or planned for this week, but as I always say, sometimes things pop up. And in this case, it was the fact that uh, Bob Nelbandian's latest Inside Metal documentary was released on October 6th to the waiting world. That is the Bay Area Godfathers. And uh, we were originally this week going to run our interview with Steve Pilkington about the brand new Iron Maiden book he put out. But we decided, you know what? Bob's been a longtime friend, collaborator, and we really wanted to get the word out on this. Had the opportunity to talk to Bob. So I said, okay, the episode that I actually recorded and mixed, ready to go for this week pushing it to next week, which in reality actually aligns a little bit better because Steve's book comes out the 28th in the U.S., so we're actually pushing his episode closer to his release date, and we drop Bob in closer to his release date. So if you don't know, Bob has been a longtime inspiration for the show, longtime podcaster, and he's been putting out these Inside Metal series since 2014, and we've had him or somebody involved in it on for every single one of them. And why shouldn't this one be any different as he's moved out of the L.A. scene to his next thing he's tackling, which is the Bay Area scene. So just put out his Bay Area Godfathers 
Part 1 DVD, and you can get that on all your usual streaming services, or you can get that as a DVD, as we talk about from Amazon, Metal Rock Films, all those usual suspects. But anyways, with all of that, and we have a lot to talk to with Bob this week, I'm going to get right into our conversation with the master himself, Bob Nelbandian. Bob, what's going on, man? How you doing, Scott? All right. Holy crap. It's been ages since I've actually talked to you. It's been a while, man. It's been a while since we put out a film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. But yeah, holy crap. I think, uh, I think we talked on Band vs. Brand or, or maybe did. Rise of L.A. Thrashman. Yeah. Yeah, we did. So that was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's good to talk to you again, man. It's uh, You too, man. I'm, I appreciate you reaching out. Oh, no problem. You know, it's it's us old fucks have to kind of support each other, right? So, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's pretty cool that, you know, when we first started talking about the Inside Metal series back in 2014, if you can believe it or not, I remember you talking about the whole intent of, you know, doing the trilogy for L.A. and then going out and starting to go around to other places where, you know, significant metal scenes took place. And, uh, you know, so here we are, you know, 2020, and, and you're actually making that come true as you uh, go to what I would have definitely picked as the next stop being San Francisco. So it's it's pretty awesome to actually see this kind of this thing you had dreamt up back in 2014 still blossoming and, and coming to fruition. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it was actually, uh, um, it made sense uh, to do it in the Bay Area. And, you know, when we were doing our last film, the last Inside Metal title, Rise of L.A. Thrash Metal, you know, we interviewed a lot of, uh, you know, of course, Lars and Dave Medichetti, people from the Bay Area, as well as a lot of L.A. bands, you know, members of Megadeth, Slayer, Suicidal, you know, uh, and other bands. And they would talk about going up to the Bay Area, you know, so we already had some footage. You know, and it's like, wow, we already got to start it, you know. So, um, yeah, the Bay Area was the obvious choice. And, uh, you know, it just kind of leads uh, as, as the fourth title into the Inside Metal series. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you couldn't have, made a, couldn't have made a better choice on it, too. And I just think that, you know, it is so significant because it even goes, you know, it, there's kind of that connection, like you're talking about, back to L.A. as well. Because you think about, you know, it comes to mind like Slayer, you know, and they kind of had their thing going in, in L.A., but... Um, you know, they go up to the Bay Area and, you know, the first thing they get is, is you know, they get some acceptance up there, but it's like, dudes, get rid of the makeup. And it just kind of right. made them a more powerful presence. So you kind of wonder about, you know, actions like that of bands going up there and performing and the acceptance and the scene and, and kind of the, 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 you know, the non kind of poser, just true, we're here for the music aspect of, of San Francisco, how much that pollinated that whole entire thrash movement. True, true. And we wanted to focus not just on the thrash, you know, on the whole Bay Area scene, which really no documentary's ever done. I mean, usually when they talk about the Bay Area, they just talk about the thrash bands. Right. Or, of course, the, you know, the 60s hippie movement or that kind of thing. Right. But, you know, there was a, a lot of genres of, of, of hard rock and metal, you know, starting with, you know, Y&T yesterday and today, going way back, playing the clubs as early as 1974, and even going back further with, with Montrose and that kind of thing. But it just, get, you know, carried on. And with Mike Varney and all these people, it became a, it, it was actually before Metallica moved up, there was more of a progressive uh, guitar-oriented uh, music scene. Uh, you know, you listen to the first couple of U.S. metal records, they're not just guitar-oriented, a lot of progressive 
styles of bands, uh, you know, that were going on. And then, you know, uh, after Metallica moved up, they kind of brought over this, this whole thrash metal sound that, you know, became the th- Bay Area thrash scene. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting progression how that happened. But we definitely, um, you know, talking to a bunch of people, you know, uh, uh, from bands and promoters and, and writers. And they said, man, you know, the, uh, you know, the glam scene was huge. The, the, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, just traditional kind of metal, you know, bands like Raw's Rocket, the power metal of, you know, Vicious Rumors, Heathen. I mean, it was all uh, a big scene out there. It wasn't just thrash. So, you know, we, we try to incorporate it all. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's good too. That's part of what I liked about the, you know, like that first installment of, of Inside Alley Metal. When you went back and you're talking about, you know, bands like Snow and like guys like Mitch Perry and stuff like that and, and really setting, uh, you know, kind of a broader scope than just, yeah, thinking, you know, San Francisco thrash. And I, I was really happy to see that, you know, Y&T was one of those bands that was in the mix because, I mean, they were so key to a lot of crap happening. And I don't think people realize how far back they reach back and then how influential those guys were. So, uh, yeah, I was really happy to see them as, as part of this first installment. Oh, absolutely. Had to include them. We, you know, obviously we put them in the L.A. titles because they were they were a big part of the L.A. scene, too. Even though they're from the Bay Area, they would come down every month. Right. by the Starwood or the Whiskey alongside Van Halen and all those bands. And, you know, uh, Y&T or Yesterday is Today, as they were called, they were re- literally like the, the Bay Area Van Halen mm-hmm. uh, back in those days. So, yeah, they were they were super important. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, 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 and I should mention, too, that, that this is just part one of of kind of your usual part one part two as well so i don't i know it's kind of kind of scaled down with you know that it doesn't get mentioned that often but i think it's important we should let people know that this is definitely like a lot of your other titles you know you got a part one and a part two so do you have any um any kind of uh speculative release date for part two yet uh yeah well i'm I'm, i am glad you mentioned that because a lot of people are confused about that all the titles are two volumes and uh, part two for this will probably come out the beginning of the new year Hmm. Uh, as you know this uh, part one is coming out tomorrow october 6th it'll be out on dvd and all the digital formats and uh, part two we usually try to get out a month or two before but you know with the holidays coming so near I think it will likely come out the beginning of the new year. Don't quote me on that. I got to talk to Warren about that. But you know, that was kind of what he was kind of speculating. Uh, he didn't want to compete with the, um, uh, the you know the holidays. Sure. Uh, yeah, and I think he wants to keep it a little bit spread apart more, so people do realize these are two different movies. You know, there is a part one and a part two, and they're completely. Uh, separate movies, both sold separately on DVD and, and available separately digitally. And uh, the DVDs have some great bonus material. So I definitely, uh, you know, if you want to get some, some cool stuff, order the D- DVDs. Um, but yeah, part two is going to be a little bit more raunchy. We'll say that, you know, it gets more <laughs> into the, the uh, debauchery and the craziness of the Bay area scene, the parties and, uh, uh, you know, gets into the individual bands as well. So it's uh, uh, usually part two is a little bit more exciting. You know, part two or part one usually gets, you know, sets it up, gets into the history and all that. And then uh, part two just goes off. So Yeah. yeah. And I'm uh, glad you mentioned it that way, too, because I don't want people to have the impression either that they're going to buy part one and all of a sudden it's going to get to like a certain year. And then they're like sitting there twiddling their thumbs like what happened next. But but you really divide right. these up and you've you've kind of through all the inside L.A. metal ones really got this format down and um i think it's a really good way to take it in you know it's it's funny because I, I look over at my shelf of dvds and i have like one section that's just like you know 
a, a foot of nothing but inside metal series stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so but people nice. should really realize that, that that like you said, they're they're two separate movies, and uh, th- you know definitely don't just go, oh, I'm not going to buy part one till part two comes out or whatever, because you're definitely going to want to have. You know, both of them, and you're probably going to want to watch the first one and then go back and go, wow, I didn't realize a whole bunch of crap. And then go back and watch it again because, you know, I think a lot of people too that, especially people that, like, if people listen to the Shockwaves podcast and stuff, they were familiar with a lot of the bands that you talked with in like the first Inside right. LA Metal one. But, um, you know, if they didn't, I'm sure that a lot of those people, they were like, they were brand new. To, you know, all those names were like people, people never heard of those people before um, or realized that, you know, there were, you know, there, Carlos Cavazza was in a band before they knew him in Quiet Riot. And it was actually a, a key important back in the day band and stuff. So I think that um, you're going to get the same effect with this one as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, you know, it actually came um, as an accident to, to make these uh, two volumes. When I was starting the first movie, we were kind of doing uh, you know, I, I kept giving a uh, Warren, you know, the executive producer edits, you know, four hour edits and, you know, I'm trying to uh, trim it down. And he's like, dude, we got to make this into a 80 or 90 minute movie at most, you know? And it's like, man, it's not going to work. It's, it's just, there's too much stuff, you know? And I kept going back and forth, edited it down to like three hours. And then it's like, you know, he said, well, fuck it, just make it into a, a two part movie. And, uh, that just became the, you know, after we did the, the uh, pioneers as a two parter, that just became, you know, all the inset medals will be a two volume set because we got, you know, so much material for both, uh, or for all the movies that, you know, I mean, it starts out once we start editing, you know, start the original is like a five hour edit. And then we have to trim it down into three hours, which we feel still doesn't really give, give enough material. Mm-hmm. So meaning three hours, two 90 minute movies. So, uh, and so that's kind of how that came about. But I'm glad we did it, I, I, even though it is uh, somewhat confusing for certain people. Like definitely, we needed to tell the whole story. Yeah, no, I think it's good because, I mean, even if I you know, think back to the Pioneers one, when I watched the screener and then when I watched the final one, it actually, the way you guys did the you know that final edit, it, it actually worked out a lot better than the screener. And it actually it worked out more cohesive. So, like I said, I think you really got a good format down on this. I know some people... You know, I read some write-ups and stuff. People are enjoying it, but they were talking about, oh, you know, things go by really quick and all this. But again, you're you're talking to a ton of people and you're trying to get as much information out because, I mean, realistically, you could have easily made all of these five hours and still not had enough time to tell everything you wanted to tell. Sure. And you're always going to miss out on certain artists and certain bands, you know. Oh, why didn't you include this band? And, you know, it's like, <laughs> dude, it's just, already we got, you know, three hours worth of material. You could only include so much. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's the story too, because, okay, you may, you may have really wanted to include this particular artist, but they didn't, they didn't relate to kind of the rest of the story in, in kind of a way that would, that would tell everything you wanted to tell. So you, you select that so that it goes with your narrative as well. And so it may not be that you didn't want exactly. to include them, but, and you probably had tons of footage with them as well. It just, it just didn't fit the narrative. Exactly. That that's true, and that's why uh, we use some in the previous uh, movies as as deleted scenes and that kind of stuff. That you know they were good quotes, but they didn't really fit in with the narrative of the movie. Yeah, yeah, and and, yeah. and also you know definitely, folks, you buy the DVD because like Bob's talking about, there's always lots of bonus stuff, and it's great to just after the movie. You just kind of have this thing. You just go by and you just watch every single bonus clip afterwards. And there's always some great stuff in there. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure oh, that thanks. this one's going to have it too. But I, I love watching the bonus stuff. Yeah, it's always a lot of fun. 
Yeah. And, and it's, you know, and I think that's, you know, it's a good reason to just buy physical product as it is anyways, because when you like, even like, you know, since we're talking Bay area and, you know, you look at the Y and T one that was out there, the, the on with the show. Great and, movie. Yeah, Great absolutely. Movie, yeah. And, but then if, you know, you just, if you stream it or whatever, you get the movie, but if you buy the, the DVD, you get like another like 143 minutes of, of bonus material yeah. stuff. So why wouldn't you do and Like that? over two hours of bonus. Yeah. yeah. Which is like another move. I mean, they could have made theirs into a two-part movie. We, you know, we, we could have done the same. Just made one movie and a bunch of bonus. Hmm. Uh, but we chose you know, to do do it in two parts, and uh, they could have probably easily done the same because their bonus material, like you said, one hundred forty three minutes yeah. of it. Yeah, it's, so, it's crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, what's the what's the general reaction been to for everybody so far? I know that you know, it, like I say, it comes out tomorrow, but you know. There's been, uh, you know, the stuff up on YouTube and, and um, stuff that's bring out to the press and all that been been uh, pretty favorable. Yeah, it's been good. We got Shipster PR, who uh, I love. Chip, he's one of my favorite hmm. uh, public relations guys that that, that works. Uh, you know, he's worked with everything metal from Judas Priest to Iron Maiden. I mean, yep. uh, I've, I've known him for many many years, so it's great that he's on board with this and. Uh, he already got some great interviews lined up and he's been sending out, you know, we had the, the, the private link again. Uh, you know, everyone goes by links now instead of DVDs. You know, we, in previous movies, we sent out DVDs and, you know, a lot of press people are like, dude, I don't even have a DVD player anymore. <laughs> you know? So yeah, we got, uh, you know, just, we basically just got out to certain press so far. We you know, we're waiting tomorrow's the big release. So, uh, but so far so good. I've been lined up with a, a bunch of interviews, Chip and Hadley, uh, his assistant set me up with a bunch of interviews last week. And uh, so, yeah, everything's going good so far. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And, and I was kind of concerned a little bit, too, because, you know, I know you've been working on this one for a while. And then, um, you know, recently you had the release of the Murder in the Front Row documentary, which is really just, you know, it's the thrash component uh, and, it, and to go along with with the book and stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, it's a great documentary. But I'm like, crap, they 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 beat Bob to the to the punch of really getting the the San Francisco part out. But again, you've got kind of a more fully fleshed, where did all this come from? And I think it makes sense too, because if you know that, like that background, then you kind of get the sense of like, let's take a band like, like, like Testament. And so, you know, now you kind of understand, you know, Chuck Billy's pre-Testament influences and, and you understand where Alex Skolnick was coming from and you understand where Eric Peterson was coming from and you see where that, all those three characters can meld together and form a sound that, that's, um, that's thrash, but it's different and it's got a flavor. And unless you know the story of where the, those influences came from, you don't quite understand the, the full story of that part of, of, of thrash. Yeah, I agree. And I think this is a, a completely different movie altogether because, like, uh, you know, like you say, this is basically on the Bay Area hard rock metal scene. And we had this movie. We actually premiered it in January at the, at the uh, um, Heavy Metal Awards show uh, uh, at NAMM and the uh, Heavy Metal Hall of Fame. We did a, a part of part one anyway. Uh, we uh, premiered there and we had it ready to go. Uh, we were going to do screenings, you know, all over uh, uh, San Francisco. Had a big screening all uh, throughout LA, Portland, uh, Vegas, Orange County, Sacramento. We were going to do quite a few screenings uh, starting in March, and of course, we had to cancel all of them. So, right. yeah, we've been sitting on this for a while. Um, you know, we 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 did take our time on this, as you know. I did that, the Bamber's brand movie. Uh, in between the the Inside Metals, which came out in Cleopatra, and mm -hmm. working with them was fantastic, and that was a great experience. And 
so yeah, we've been sitting on this for a while. A lot of the interviews, you know, uh, some of these same interviews we did the same time we did uh, from the pioneers, you know, right. you know, talk about Dave Medicetti and, 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 and Lars Ulrich. And, you know, so we're talking going back to 2012. So, uh, but yeah, we got a lot of new stuff. I think one of our last interviews we got was Jason Becker, which is just fantastic mm-hmm. that we were able to, uh, connect with him and connect with his mother. And we were able to make it work, you know, through, nice. uh, uh, her communicating with him through his eye movements, which is, is just a, an unbelievable story. If you haven't seen Jason Becker's uh, documentary, Not Dead Yet, uh, it's a must-see. you got to check that out. And I was just so honored that Jason uh, uh, was a part of this movie as well. Yeah, actually, that's, I mean, I'm actually getting goosebumps talking when you're talking about that, too, because, um, you know, just... Uh, just in a phenomenal, phenomenal player. And the fact that he still has that resolve as well, despite, you know, kind of everything that's going against him. It's uh, just yeah, amazing. Dude, artist. he's the same. He's, uh, I mean, he's the same kid I remember when he was 17. He's still got that sense of humor. You could see when he's being interviewed, he's smiling and, you know, like making jokes. And it's, it's just unbelievable, uh, you know, his his whole attitude and his his, his spirit is mm. just so alive. So it's it's really really remarkable. Yeah, that's that's great. Because yeah, I mean, I just think you know, like first time listening to Cacophony and being like, oh my god, um, yeah, you know, and yeah. but it, it's great that he's you know still has that kind of that will and he's he's still doing stuff. So that's yeah, and I'm glad you got him in the film. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, so you think maybe part of the, you know, of, of Warren wanting to hold off too is kind of what everyone else has kind of fallen into as well as they've got releases set up, but you know, with this whole COVID shit show, you, you know, everything ends up getting delayed. You know, you think you really got it. And, and then you got, you know, either the manufacturers don't have the bandwidth to, you know, get things together. And it just seems like everybody's like well-planned releases are moving you know, one month, two months and everything. You think maybe he's thinking, well, you know, you're going to get this big push at the, at the manufacturers for that stuff. And maybe I'll just, I'll play it safe and, and kind of have the yeah. thing in queue. But, you know, then at least I can make my date that I'm saying. Well, I think, I think that has been the case, uh, uh, particularly with this movie, with, with, with this movie, when COVID hit, you know, you had a lot of the big uh, movie makers that couldn't get their movies into the theaters hmm. So they're all rushing to get them out digitally on whether it be Netflix or Amazon Prime or, you know, iTunes, Google Play, you know, a lot of the same formats we're competing with. And of course, you know, the big blockbusters are usually going to take priority. So, yeah, you do have to plan. Uh, you know, we plan this release well in advance, uh, month, months in advance. Um, so, uh, and that could, that could be the case for part two as well, uh, why he wants to separate it more. And, yeah, I think it's a good decision. I mean, he, he knows the business end of, um, uh, you know, DVDs and digital releases and, and he's, uh, you know, very successful and, and, and doing that and knowing that. So, you know, I kind of trust, uh, trust his view on that. And, yeah. uh, uh, so I think it'll work out. I mean, although I always like, oh man, let's get it out. You know, let's get part two to, you know, cause all the artists are like, dude, I'm trying to see, can you send part two? And like, Warren's like, nope, nope, we can't send that out yet. You know? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. So, you know, you mentioned band versus brand, which, you know, great film. And if anyone hasn't seen it, definitely you got to go back, buy that one, watch that. It's amazing. Um, I think it sets up people's you. like mindset really into a lot of stuff and makes you think. And you know, some of the people you had on there too were definitely like key people that uh, really spoke intelligently about it and, and made you think as well. But you know, part of that that whole thing with band versus brand is I kind of look at that too as uh, not just a music thing, but it's it's a social thing. 
And, you know, we talk about things like, you know, inside LA metal, we're talking about the Godfathers and, and, and people always, you know, think, okay, we're just talking about a music movement, but do you delve any more into with the Bay area one, especially the, the kind of the social movement aspects that drive some of this scene? Well, we kind of go into, uh, I mean, the, the inside metal ones are obviously more about, about the music or the Bamber's brand. It was definitely a different direction for me because it was more about the business. Yeah. I mean, it was about the music too, but it was about the music business. Right. And the business of branding and how important branding is. So we got a lot, you know, even though we, we interviewed a lot of artists for that and a lot of artists that were in the inside metal movies as well. Uh, it was more, you know, a, a business take. So it was kind of a different direction. With uh, this, the Bay Area Godfathers, we do to an extent, we talk about how, um, you know, a lot of the artists talk about how in the beginning, the social movement and the, uh, the, the hippie movement and the, the peace and love movement of the 60s kind of gave San Francisco that, you know, um, free attitude musically. And the clubs were a lot more freer hmm. than L.A. and then other places. And the people were a lot more freer to do what they wanted. And, and uh, that kind of uh, shine through. And that's how we, you know, we kind of lead, lead that into the thrash movement, how, you know, thrash was kind of so underground everywhere, but it was kind of mainstream hmm. uh, in the Bay area. You know, the club owners did not, did, uh, did not veer away from booking thrash bands. Whereas LA, they didn't want anything to do, especially the Hollywood clubs didn't want anything to do with thrash. So and we do get into that, which kind of gets into the social uh, uh, you know, structure of how the Bay Area always was, not just music-wise, but, uh, you know, the Bay Area always did kind of have that, that uh, you know, uh, I hate to use the word hippie, hippie mentality uh, from the 60s. And, you know, a lot of it was, was drug-fueled. A lot of it was just, you know, um, uh, you know that, that flower power kind of thing. Sure. I think that kind of resonated into the... Uh, uh, into the music business, even through the eighties, uh, a little bit of just the open-mindedness. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's because that's what I mean. It's kind of the you know, with L.A. You, because the industry basically had a center there. You always had kind of more of this um, kind of in, you know this this exclusiveness and and kind of snobbiness as far as getting into clubs and all that. Where you know San Francisco, you know, it always seemed freer. Because I kind of look at L.A. and I compare that as a little bit to like how. A lot of times it was here in, in Boston in like, you know, like the 80s and stuff where you had to be like a certain kind of band to play a certain kind of club. And if you, you know, you weren't getting like like local radio support and things like that, you you know, you got this exclusion thing. And, and that kind of, you know, reeks of kind of the L.A. elitism. But, you know, San Francisco, if you go back and just even look at some of the um, some of the broadsheets from gigs, you look and see this variety of bands that are on every bill as well. And it's it, it's kind of a. It's more of a, yeah. almost like a like a European type of thing where it didn't matter who was on the bill. Yeah, in a sense, uh, a lot of stuff was like that. And even when it got into the '90s, and bands like uh, you know Faith No More or Primus or you know bands that kind of did what they wanted, they weren't really didn't fit into one musical genre, so right. to speak. Uh, uh, so that kind of uh, always kind of followed through, I think, uh, uh, with the you know just that mentality and you know. Uh, uh, you know, Cliff Burton being into so many different styles of music and other mu musicians from thrash bands being, uh, you know, they, a lot of them talk about, you know, a lot of them were into real progressive music and they all, you know, loved, uh, you know, Al Miola and all these guitar players. They were all into the musicianship right. too, but they, uh, 
we're into the artsiness too of of, of other players. So yeah, uh, that's that's kind yeah, of where I, you know where I'm where I'm kind of going too is that you know if you, if you look at kind of the story of a lot of the you know the the bands out of L.A. they kind of have a solitary development. But you know, I know from playing in bands for so long that a lot of times it's the it's the you know if you're in a rehearsal facility and you go check out a different band, then you're like, wow, you know, they're playing something different. But you go like, holy crap, like how did that guy do that? And you start to like pick up kind yeah. of cues and things. And, and it might not be that you're like you know their biggest fan, but when you got these mixed bills and you kind of have this more open acceptance, you have a breeding ground for a lot of a lot of cross pollination. And I would always tell that even to like my guitar students, I would be you know don't just listen to to metal. You know, can't believe I just said that, but you know, you really should go and listen to like, you know, go listen to a Pat Metheny or you know, and and you know, like sit there and try to figure out what the sure. hell he's trying to do, what he, what he's doing, and how he gets those sounds, and and just like open yeah. it up and and then take that and put it into a context you like, and don't and don't copy, be yourself. And I kind of think that that reminds me a lot of a lot of the bands out of the Bay Area is they didn't copy; they're all just kind of they're being themselves, throwing it out there, and it, it's either it sticks or it doesn't, and they don't care. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, you know, me growing up in L.A., if, if you're a fan, you're going to find your way through to see these uh, different. And L.A. is such a big place. And I think uh, people look at it like, you know, people look at the Bay Area, you know, again, oh, the metal scene, it was just mm. thrash, you know. And a lot of the bands that we interviewed, you know, from Le Mans to Head On to Roadrunner to even Lost Rocket to uh, uh, all these bands that weren't really uh, necessarily considered thrash vain, uh, you know, and, and even the promoters, I mean, Arsenal, you know, they were saying the glam scene was huge. And, you know, they were like, man, thanks so much for including, you know, us because we never get, you know, and, and these were bands that were selling out the Omni and, and the Stones selling, you know, just as many tickets as a lot of the other bands. So that was kind of important to get through and to show the diversity of the music scene. And, and again, that's why I did that with the LA titles. I wanted to do the rise of LA thrash metal to show, yes, there was a huge thrash scene in LA. It just wasn't in Hollywood, but if you're a fan, you go on the outskirts. I mean, even in LA before the grunge scene, I used to go to, you know, I went with some friends cause I just liked exploring new music. And I remember when Jane's addiction and all these bands first came out when the chili peppers were playing clubs, they were all playing up in East LA or downtown uh, and there was a big scene at Scream of, of all that kind of shit. I'm like going, holy shit, these people are different. They, they dress like the grunge people, but five years earlier, kind of, you know, I mean, just, you know, they didn't dress all flashy and, you know, sexy like the chicks on, on the Sunset Strip, you know, was, but there were, it was a big scene of, uh, you know, seeing these bands. And so there were kind of the scenes, they just weren't really exploited to the, you know, uh, uh, like oh, like the Hollywood scene was, and of course the uh, thrash bands, you know, all played East LA and played Long Beach and 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 Watts and uh, different you know uh, areas, uh, Olympic Auditorium where where uh, you know it didn't matter, you know, just bad neighborhoods, sure. you know, kind of thing. So, and I think uh, San Francisco was like that to an extent, like with Ruthie's Inn, where they had to get places where kind of anything goes, you know, because I think the Stone was getting a little bit commercialized. I mean, they were get they were bringing in a lot of national acts at the three stones as well as the thrash band. So I think once the uh, newer breeder breeds of thrash bands would come along, you know, Ruthie's Inn really became mm -hmm. the spot. Uh, and uh, uh, other clubs outside of, uh, 
uh, you know, the mainstream, you know, uh, Bay Area clubs. So, uh, you know, you kind of got that there, too. But there was always a variety. And, like, the jazz clubs in the Bay Area, you know, a lot of the metal guys would say they, they would love just going out to the jazz clubs and, you know, checking out the musicianship. So, you know, it, it was, I mean, that was the thing about heavy metal, whether L.A. or or Boston or New York or San Francisco. I mean, all these bands, even the 80s, you know, you talk about the, the glam hair metal bands. Most of them had great musicianship, you know, killer guitar players, you know, George Lynch, Warren D. Martini, all these great guitar players that, uh, uh, you know, were influenced by, you know, more, more, you know, progressive or jazz mm -hmm. music. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting, you know, you bring up like a band like Laz Rocket, because, you know, when I, when I talk about going back and looking at, at old gig posters, I mean, those guys, holy crap, did they, they played they a huge. shitload. They were like on every, almost every other bill you'd yeah. have Laz Rocket on there. It was amazing. They were one of the biggest bands. And now most of the bands started out opening mm. for them. Uh, in the Bay Area, and they had the big show, all the explosions, and I remember just being in L.A., and, you know, I had pen pals up in, 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 in San Francisco. We're talking 81, 82, and, and all I heard, you know, yeah, Laws Rocket. Oh, yeah, you know, Metallica, they're opening up for Laws Rocket. You know, Armored Saints going up there, they're opening up for Laws Rocket, you know. And, uh, yeah, they were they were like a, a very big band, but they weren't quite thrash. They weren't really hair metal. They were kind of that in-between, yeah. you know. I kind of compare them like a, a band like an Armored Saint or uh, a warrior or a malice in LA. And, you know, there are other bands like that, like Craig Gearhorse talks about, you know, mm -hmm. ruffians. They weren't quite thrash. They weren't. So you kind of get, you know, you're not in that trendiness of the cat. You're either this or that, you know, and, and if you're in between, you you don't get the alkaloids that, you, you know, you might, if you, you know, veered to one of the others. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, but and we wanted to capture yeah. all that. We wanted to get the whole, bands, you know, and, and bands like Stone Vengeance, you know, but I mean, they started in the late 70s, all black, hard rock metal band, great band, still together wow. today, but put out some great music, you know, and, you know, Righteous Sire and uh, bands that, you know, most people may not have uh, uh, really even heard of, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, Jet Boy and, and, and other stuff that, you know, ended up going to L.A. and uh, Vane, of course, you know, but they, they might have been more popular in LA at, for at a time. But they all started on the Bay Area, and Vane was very, very popular in the Bay Area when yeah, they started. Yeah. And you know, Davey Vane produced the. Uh, 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 Death Angel records too. The first two Death Angel records. Yeah. So. You know, and it's interesting too. You know, it's kind of that what if of what would have happened if you had that kind of same record company signing frenzy in San Francisco as a in, as instead of in L.A. You know, like how much would that have turned this? You know, would that have changed the scene, or or would San Francisco have kind of gone along with their way? And it's kind of you know an interesting what if to think about. Well, you know, a lot of people, a lot of artists were saying uh, in the movie that a lot of labels were coming up to San Francisco every week, especially when the thrash thing was going on. I mean, you know, Exodus, after Metallica, you know, Exodus signed with Capitol, and then you had Testament that went over to Atlantic, you know, from Megaforce, and all these other bands, Death Angel, were with Enigma, then went to Geffen. So the majors were, in, you know, Le Mans were signed to CBS. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of these bands were were actually getting signed. Uh, I mean, none of them reached the potential of say, you know, obviously a Metallica or a Megadeth uh, or even a Slayer. Um, you know, Exodus had a had a real good run. Uh, you know, they they had some issues, and then you know when they got rid of uh, Paul Bailoff, I think that kind of turned. Uh, you know, maybe some of the fans off uh, a bit, but they still they still had some pretty good popularity on Capitol. Uh, you know, so I mean, there were there were the major labels were going up there in a way, 
but it wasn't, um, you know, of course, Vane got signed by uh, Island. Uh, so, um, you know, you, you did have the major labels up there and, and signing bands, but, um, you know, probably not nearly as many uh, as, as, as in L.A. or or maybe even New York as well. But uh, and Vicious Rumors were on Atlantic, mm-hmm. too, yeah. uh, actually. Yeah. I just think, you know, you look at L.A. and you look at the number of people just kind of moving there because they think, oh, you know, we're going to make it. And which is kind of a, you know, long time traditional thing with L.A. anyways, right? Everyone's trying to go to New York or L.A. to make it. But it's kind of lends to a different yeah. dynamic than, you know, kind of the people who are kind of more local and and yeah i mean yeah some bands did migrate up there as well you know metallica being a you know yeah well i think more of the thrasher thrashier bands were going to the the Mm. bay area of course all the glam bands from all over the u.s were coming out to la and that really bugged (laughs) me because you know and that that started as soon as you know motley and rat and those bands started getting signed then it just and you know it was funny because they're like oh no la hair metal like these bands aren't from la i mean poison they're not you know they're an la (laughs) band now but they none of them yeah they, they all came out from you know pittsburgh or wherever uh, Pennsylvania, you know, and same with Guns N' Roses, half of them yeah. weren't, you know, from L.A., but most of the, most, you know, uh, most of the bands that are considered L.A. hair metal bands, you know, just came to L.A. maybe a year or so before and, and uh, built built a following, right. and uh, uh, so, yeah, it's it, it's kind of misleading, uh, I think, as far as that goes. And I think uh, there were some bands that, that were coming out to uh, uh, the Bay Area, even punk bands like DRI, where I believe originally from Texas, they uh, came out and made themselves like a Bay Area band and uh, uh, a few others. But, um, you know, uh, San Francisco is obviously a lot smaller geographically mm-hmm. uh, than L.A., so uh, that could be another reason. But Yeah, do you think that the hardcore metal crossover, did that happen more so first in L.A. or more so first in San Francisco? I don't know. I, when I think about San Francisco, they were more just into mm. thrash because they they had the support system out there. I mean, Ron Quintana was a huge oh, yeah. element in that with a, with a KUSF. They had a station Rampage or a radio mm-hmm. show uh, called Rampage Radio. Uh, 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 Ron and Ian Callen, and we interviewed them both in the movie. And uh, that they were playing early demos, you know, the first Metallica demos early on. And, and again, you know, by saying San Francisco is smaller geographically, a, a three, you know, a 3000 watt college radio station or whatever it is could reach kind of like the whole mm-hmm. city. Whereas in LA, everything's so spread apart, you know, a, a, a 2000 or 3000 watt radio station doesn't, doesn't really mean anything, uh, depending on where it is. So, um, you know, San Francisco had a lot of that it had the fanzines. It already had a platform for a, a thrash metal with Metallica coming up, and you had the fans out there. So they were already into that. I think L.A. was more bands like Slayer and all that. When they moved into L.A. and started doing shows, uh, and even at the Olympic Auditorium, at Fender's Ballroom, you would get a lot of the punks, and that started like a crossover. Mm-hmm. And bands like Suicidal, a lot of the Suicidals would come to the Slayer show. So they just liked the fastness of it, the punks were kind of tired of what was going on with punk and kind of turning more new wave and, and stuff. And they, they so the real, you know, hardcore punks were starting to get into Slayer and, and Dark Angel and, and, uh, you know, uh, early, the early Megadeth. So a lot of those shows really had the crossover. I think Motorhead was really the first band I saw that had that crossover at the, at the, uh, um, Hollywood play, you know, I saw all these punks there. I was like, holy shit, this is when they came over with Robbo, Robbo, uh, Brian Robertson on the, uh, uh, another perfect day. Actually, it was the, uh, uh, uh Iron Fist tour and Rob, uh, Robbo had just joined. 
And so it started kind of back then in L.A. I don't know about the Bay Area. I know there were, you know, bands like DRI and that kind of stuff. And But, you know, you would go see Slayer at the Olympic Auditorium. It would be DRI, Slayer, Anthrax, and, you know, uh, you know another punk band, uh, Fear or something, you know. So they really cross-bred it here uh, in, our, in L.A. at the L.A. clubs. I don't know if they did too many cross-breed shows in, in uh uh, the Bay Area. I know um, uh, uh, Mike uh, from Suicidal uh, was a promoter. Uh, Psycho Mike He did uh, uh, Metal or Triple M Productions, I think it was, and he did a lot of the uh, crossover bands. You know, Suicidal played with Megadeth and No Mercy and XL, and you know a lot of the skateboard punk, you know, crossover kind of stuff. So uh, you definitely got a lot of that. You know. Uh, in LA, I, I, I think probably more so than the Bay Area. I, mean, I could be wrong. I don't know so many about the Bay Area. I, I think the punk fans were kind of early on. We touched with that, like with Mike yeah. Varney. A lot of people were surprised that Mike Varney played in a punk band, being Mr. Guitar <laughs> Guru that he is. But even the Nuns were a very popular punk band in, in the, um, one of the first, I think even before Dead Kennedys up in mm. the Bay Area. So, uh, yeah, a lot yeah. of history. A lot of history. It's cool that you meant. You know, you mentioned Ron and Rampage Radio. I always get really jealous of kind of the influence he had because being on the radio here at the same time, and you know, I had my show, The Invasion, and like it was like zero support from the station for metal, and they didn't understand metal. And I mean, I can remember that they'd send me out to like, you know, hey, can you go? You're the metal guy. Can you go interview Billy Idol? He's in town. And be like. All right, or you know, they, it was was any any band. They were like, "Well, you're the middle guy, go," you know. And it was they were really more, uh, you know, they liked hardcore and 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 a lot of, uh, you know, some of the the new wave and and stuff like that. And then right. you know, I'm like the lone I'm like the lone metal guy. And and you know, I listen to you know kind of what Ron does and 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 what he's you know the legacy that he's had with Rampage Radio. And it's just like, man, he did everything right. But the big thing too is he had such a such a support there as well and just like a rabid base of people listening and uh yeah i just i always get envious when i when i when i listen to ron talk and i think he just i remember going there visiting him at a station i think in like 90 91 i was there with the heathen guys when i worked at roadrunner and we went out like four in the morning his show was overnight so his show was like from midnight to like six in the morning so he could get away with a lot more but his show was still so popular because i guess I guess no one in San Francisco sleeps, so at least the metalheads don't. So they were all listening to it. But I think, uh, you know, the radio station realized, hey, this isn't drive time, regular, you know, mainstream hours. So, uh, uh, yeah, let him do his thing, you know, and, and that's what he seemed to be able to do. He would just, you know, constantly just get bands live in the studio. And I don't know if anything was censored, you know, it's just like everyone would bring beer over to the studio and drink at KUSF, you know. So, yeah, I guess, like I said, it's yeah, they're different times. I'm sure, I'm sure ti- you can't do that anymore. No, no way. <laughs> oh, now you don't even have you don't even yeah. spin in vinyl. But yeah, I can just remember, you know, because yeah, I started off it was Monday drive time, and that didn't last very long, and then they put me to like a Saturday afternoon to do it. But I, you know, I can remember, you know, even like the first time I rolled Metallica on the air, and, and boom, the phone was up there, and the the program director, what, what's this crap you're playing? And it was like, ah, oh, you know. Really, give me a wow. break. Yeah, any anything you'd go through all the new release bins, and and it would always be uh, anything that was metal. He would have written something on it about like you know total shit or whatever. And it was just yeah, it was it was constantly <laughs> like that. It sucked. It was funny too. I tell people that 
you know, I had my show Saturday afternoon and then Saturday night, the next show after me was this, a jazz show. And the dude that did it was always stoned. And so he'd always get stoned before his show and be late. So for years, I would actually start his show and I learned to actually talk exactly like him. And people, even the program director didn't realize for years that he was always about a half an hour late, and I was always the initial guy doing his show. It was like at least it was good that I had the and jazz were you background. Metal or were you playing jazz? <laughs> were we actually playing metal. No, no, music? I would, I would. Once, once mine was over, I'd like, I'd spin his intro music, mm-hmm. and then I would literally imitate him and start spinning jazz for a half hour until he finally showed up at the station, <laughs> and no one ever knew. Wow, that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> oh man. So, you know, besides the, the Bay Area stuff, which is, you know, the main reason I'm talking to you, I obviously want to, you know, just go back to everything else you're up to as well, because I have to say that, you know, a big part of Focus on Metal is basically on the kind of the on your back, because you were a huge influence in kind of the, the whole style and direction of the show and, you know, listening to your show for years and being really enjoying what you what you do and you know i've told you this before but i think anyone who's new listening to should realize that basically you're a huge influence on focus on metal and especially the you know the shockwaves podcast uh and it's just been uh, something that's kind of informed our sensibilities going forward as well so um what's going on on that end of stuff oh well thank you man i really appreciate that scott and we you know we as you know we revamped the shockwave skull sessions and i got to give major credit to uh my partner matt hartnett who uh, got me, you know, uh, going and, you know, cause when I was doing the movies for a while, I was just mm. so busy. So I had, had stopped the original one that was hosted by Roadrunner. I think we stopped that in what, 2012 uh, or 13. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's revamped and, and doing great. And, uh, uh, you know, we just had a great podcast with uh, Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy going through the whole Thin Lizzy catalog, or at least the albums that he was involved with. And it also has Brian Slagle and, and Don Jameson, comedian Don Jameson on there, both huge Thin Lizzy fans. So that was really good. It's a, it's a two part, just like the entire metal <laughs> movies. It was so long. We made that into a two parter, but, uh, yeah, so we're doing that. And then Matt is more, a little bit more into the, he's a, uh, originally from New York and he's a little bit more into the heavy. Uh, he was into you know like the New York hardcore scene and that kind of stuff. So we we kind of have a little bit of a, a variety there in what we do, and uh, it works out really good, man. I'm I'm really glad. Uh, uh, you know, I wanted to keep it going because I was envious of you and others that have kept it going. I mean, you know, the the, the thing that uh, people got to realize, you know, people like you and people like you know all, all the podcasts we had in the original, you know, uh, Cast Iron Ring, uh, you know, uh, network. Uh, you know, we were like the, the, the ones, you know, keeping the torch alive, really, you know, there weren't that many. I mean, now there's a ton of podcasts yeah. and, uh, other stuff and like all these metal things on YouTube. And it's, and, you know, to, to me, it's just recycled news. It's just people trying to get clicks and trying to get clickbait and whatever. It's like they take a news story and then they just recycle it and put their own spin yeah. on it. Who cares? It's just the same thing. No, no one's doing it. I mean, for you guys to go out and, you know, and I told you and Richie, I, I think it's fascinating, not just the artists that you interview, but the producers. You get really behind the scenes and really into in depth because these guys usually have the best uh-huh. story. Oh, yeah. Some of the producers are people that work alongside the band as either road managers or whatever. Uh, but you had that whole segment on the different producers. 
you had all the journalists from all the Kerrang people and, and, and Dave Reynolds from Metal Forces, uh, uh, Metal Mike from Art Shock. And, you know, I think that's fascinating. I think that's great because these were the major players. And that's why I try to include a lot of those kind of people in the documentaries because really this is history. You know, what we're putting out is, is, is really history. Once we're gone or once we stop doing this, I don't know who's going to take over. The younger generation, even, the, you know, as, as inspired as they might be about the early stuff, you know, the, a lot of history gets smeared. I mean, I see some of this stuff on YouTube and other stuff and people talking, you know, in their 20s, talking about the scene. It's like they have no <laughs> clue, you know, to, to what they And not to be the, the old guy, that, hey, I was there. I, I knew it was. But it's like if you don't know much about it, don't, you know, kind of claim to, to, yeah. to or whatever, you know, have, have a show. But, you know, I think it's important for podcasts like Focus on Metal that, that you keep going and, you know, really give a true insight of to uh, uh, the scene, you know, going back 20, 30 years and, and, and how it still thrives today and, and talking to these people and, uh, uh, you know, especially now during the whole COVID thing when these bands can't play. They need to promote themselves. They need to promote their albums, you know, because they can't do the live shows. And as you know, Scott, that's where oh, yeah. the money is, is making live shows. You don't make money on CDs anymore. So all they really have is the podcast. So, uh, you know, I know all the artists are very thankful for people like yourself that are uh, continuing on. And that's what we kind of tried to do with Shockwave Skull Sessions. And, you know, Matt started a great sister podcast called uh, Aftershocks with uh, Chris Aiken from the Classic Metal Show. And it's all metal interviews. And uh, and they're going great. They're going strong. We actually uh, kind of formed a, a, a the CMS network. Uh, is uh, We're a part of that now. So, uh, which is really cool. It's really boosted the Skull Sessions listenership, yeah, that's too. Good. So, that's uh, good. you know, I think, yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really important. And, you know, I think, you know, we're all a family, all, all, all us, uh, uh, you know, hard rock metal podcasters. I mean, too many people to name here, but you know, we all know each other via Facebook or whatever. We've been on each other's shows and we all support each other. And I think it's, you know, and a lot of, I mean, most of us, we're not making no. money. We're not making tons of money to doing this. Now, that's just for the yeah, that's, that's the no thing. It's making, always kind of the uh, people ask me, well, well, you know, how long have you yeah. been doing this? And I'm like, well, 11 years. And they're like, oh, well, you know, you making money. It's like, no. And they're, they're just like, they're, yeah. you know, <laughs> totally like, what? But I mean, yeah. Now you got you got these people yeah. that are kind of now realizing, oh, podcasts, and and they're you know you kind of have these big names that are doing it now, and they get instant monetization. But I mean, for, for for guys like us that have been doing this, it's like you said, we're doing it because you know we love doing it, and a lot of times it is you know like listening to your show for and so long and going, wow, that's cool crap. Like I never would have known like that story if if Bob hadn't done, done it. Even I remember the the time you the episode you did where you you aired your first interview with Ronnie James Dio. And, you know, I mean, mean, just the stuff that was on there, it was not like you had this stellar interview style or whatever, but you had some cool information on there. And it was just, it was great to hear. And you're not going to get that from some some show that's trying to make all kinds of money and get a million clicks. Yeah. Yeah. I was 18 then. That was, <laughs> that's a classic. Well, that's the thing today. Every, everything's about the clicks and getting mm-hmm. the money and getting, you know, that's why I said, you know, people don't, the people's attention span is, is, is real short. And that, that, that's, you know, why we made that thin Lizzie one into a, a two part episode. I know some of the focus on metal, 
interviews are, are close mm-hmm. to two hours long and stuff. And, you know, so for me, I have to, I have to you know, spend the time. Okay. I'm, Cause I want to listen to it all, all in one usually. So, you know, if I'm taking a road trip or if I'm going, you know, I want to take the time to listen to it. But everyone nowadays, they just want that quick, you know, that's why these news sites are just so uh, popular and, and then the YouTube kind of things too. And it's just, you know, like, I don't know. It's recycled news. You already hear about it. You hear their, their take mm-hmm. on it or whatever, or, or they make some kind of, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, just, it's just kind of silly how, how the, uh, uh, you know, these, these, uh, new podcasts and new, uh, uh, you know, webzines and whatever are going, but hey, all the best yeah, to them. But, I, I think it's, but the thing that about us, we, we don't bow down to anyone. We do whatever we want, and we don't have, uh, you know, to worry about, you know, uh, getting a certain amount of listen. We do what we want. We interview who we want, and uh, no one's talking about That's exactly what I was going to say. Is is it gives us that freedom? It's kind of like we're the, you know, we're the bands on the independent label, right? We don't have a major telling us what to do. And and actually, we you know we most of us all have pretty sizable listenerships that are that are loyal as well, and um, you know still doing the syndication stuff too. Even you know we started it pretty much on the first show, and and even that still continued as well. So it's uh, you know I think the audience is out there, and um, you know you're going to have I think you have the people that really do enjoy that and and listening to long things. And you're right. I mean, even the like the two part thing, we've got a two part one coming up where you know you just look at it and go. You know everything that you know that Richie's talked to these people, and and I and it's all really really good stuff. And you edit it down, and you're still like, nope, it's going to be a two potter, and that and that's just how it is. Yeah. Sure, sure. Well, cool. I'm I'm glad Shockwaves is still going. Yeah, we're going to still keep it going uh, for as long. You know, as long as mm-hmm. I enjoy it. That's that's my point. Is when it becomes a business or when it becomes something that I don't enjoy anymore, that's when yeah. I'll stop. You know, and uh, so yeah, we we keep it going and. You know, we don't have to be consistent, uh, super awesome. We could throw up some archive interviews, you know, if we don't, like we just threw up an archive interview, I think, this week on the Bay Area Thrash scene that we did uh, years ago on the original Skull Sessions with uh, Ron Quintana and uh, Gary Holt mm-hmm. from Exodus, and, and I think uh, uh, William Howell. Oh, was on cool. that as well. So, you know, we'll throw some archive, uh, uh, you know, episodes here and there. But, yeah, I do like to keep it going. It just kind of keeps me, uh, you know, I yeah. enjoy it. And then, you know, the Shockwaves Hard Radio is more straight-up interviews. I'll do that from time to time. And I've been doing some work with this magazine, Flirt, a great uh, uh, men's magazine. He's got, you know, beautiful women uh, in it. It's kind of like a, a Maxim kind of but online. And uh, But the guy's a big metalhead, Ronnie, and he lets me do whatever I want. You know, I've done, we we did uh, a thing, I've done Lizzie on that. I did the uh, John Bush and... Uh, uh, Marty Freeman, David Ellison. So, you know, all people, people I know and people, uh, you know, he, he likes as well. And he's like, yeah, you know, so, uh, uh, you could check that out at flirt magazine. Um, so did you get, did you get that gig yeah, by putting the, uh, the stripper at Nam thing on your resume and then that got you that gig? Is that how you, that worked? The stripper yeah. at Nam thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, uh, actually just saw him on uh, uh-huh. Facebook and uh, we just, he, he hit me up and we started talking. I said, yeah, you know, I used to write, because uh, I, I used to write for a lot of men's magazines in mm. the 90s, uh, Platinum uh, and uh, New Rave and a few others, uh, and, uh, you know, did music, music stuff for them. And I said, hey, I could do uh, stuff for you. He goes, yeah, dude, I'd love to. And then, you know, he just hired me on. So, yeah, that worked out pretty cool. All right. Man, I tell you, it's, yeah. like I said, I, I always I always look forward to talking to you, Bob. Whether you got a movie out or not, it, it's 
like I said, it's it's two old fucks shooting the shit. And I obviously I, I've got a lot of respect for everything you do, and I'm just I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass when I say that. I, I really do. And you've been well, a, you've been a big influence on the show. Um, you know, and it's great that, you know, I went from being a listener and, you know, pretty, being a pretty religious listener of shockwaves to, you know, actually getting to be friends with you and launching a show that pretty much honors what you had done in the past as well. So, uh, um, like I said, it's always awesome to wow. talk to you. Well, you as well and Richie as well, please give my regards to Richie and uh, love what you guys do. Keep it up. And, uh, cause yeah, sooner or later I'm, I'm, I'm getting pretty old. I'll probably, you know, I don't know when, you know, how, how much longer I'll go about doing doing this. But like I said, as long as I enjoy it, I'll, I'll kind of keep it going. But, you know, we, we are carrying mm. the flag. And, uh, you know, I think the artists, you know, especially nowadays with what's going on, they really need to uh, need to support. So everyone out there, man, should support all these uh, metal podcasts and, and, and do what you can to, to keep them going and keep them alive. And, uh, you know, uh, as well as, you know, the movies, the great uh, uh, movies and documentaries and, and the bands out there doing, you know, whatever they're doing now, streaming stuff. I know Armored Saints doing a great streaming live mm-hmm. from the whiskey, I think, to, uh, Saturday yeah, I bought night, my ticket. Uh, $10. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to play a bunch of songs for their brand new album. So definitely check that out and support these bands, man. Because I, uh, I actually, I mean, I love Saint so much, Bob, that I had already pre-ordered the deluxe bundle for the new release. But I still, with the listening nice. party, I bought the ticket, I bought another CD, and I bought a shirt. Just because, you know, again, wow. I really love what Saint does. I've been a fan of them forever. And it's it's that same thing. Is You know, I'm not just a guy sitting here saying it, but... I'm really trying to support these artists so that they continue on. The same thing with, you know, when you get the opportunities to do the Crew Nation type of stuff, I'm doing those as well because it's, it's again, it's kind of like if you're really a fan and you want this to continue, then you really have to, you know, live it. So that's, you know, that's definitely what I'm doing. Absolutely. Right on, Scott. Well, you're keeping it alive, my friend. Yeah, all of us are. <laughs> well, always great talking to you as well, and we'll definitely keep in touch and, We'll get you part two as soon as we get that uh, that set up for press. And uh, until then, man, just, uh, uh, yeah, man, if you need anything else, uh, let me know. All right. And we'll get the, the movie, uh, just so people know, the movie will be coming out uh, uh, officially tomorrow, Tuesday, October 6th, on DVD and digital formats. You could get on Amazon Prime. Uh, iTunes, I believe, Google Play. It might be going up on Voodoo and, um, you know, a different pay-per-view uh, a, a channels, cable pay-per-view and uh, a DVD. You can buy the DVD at Amazon.com, Walmart.com, BestBuy.com, wherever you get, you know, or at Reddit yeah, and, and don't forget, you can get it at MetalRockFilms.com as well, which is where I ordered mine. <laughs> oh, good. Awesome. Did you order the, the, the new one through there? I didn't even know if that was yeah, set up it's, it's up there. I know it's set up on MVP. Yeah, it's weird because I went up there and it was okay. like the, the, the Flying V one was up there, but there was no buy link, but the Bay Area one was. And I'm like, okay, damn, I'm on it. And yeah, so I got it right from the Metal Rock Film awesome. site. Yeah, you could go to MetalRockFilms.com, MVD.com. But yeah, I didn't know, realize that Metal Rock Films got it up there. See, I'm learning from you there, Scott. Because <laughs> well, because I, I looked on Amazon and I went, oh, it's not up here yet. And I went, you know what? I'm going to go up to Warren's site, and it's like, psych, awesome. it's here, and that's where Very I got cool. it. Yep. Well, yeah, dude, definitely. Um, we'll get, we'll get. I'll keep you posted on part two. Awesome, I appreciate it, Bob. You got it, Scott. You take care, man. All right, perfect. All right, Bob. Have a good right, one, man. You take Thanks care. Again. Thanks again. Bye bye. Got to tell you, it is always great to get on the phone with Bob. Like I said, it's basically two old fucks talking about times gone by. 
And it was also especially cool for uh, Bob to bring up the old cast iron ring of which uh, Focus on Metal was one of the original members of. Actually, was a pretty great uh, group of podcasters in that and uh, some really classic shows, like I said, including Bob's legendary Shockwaves Skull Sessions podcast. And also the guys I mentioned at the beginning of the show as well, Victor with his Mars Attacks show was also part of the cast iron ring. So again, if you are looking for your quick... You know, early on Van Halen fix, then uh, I would honor Eddie's legacy by going up to MarsAttacksRadio.com and bringing up episode 46, which is uh, one of Victor's great episodes all about Van Halen 2. And while you're online doing all that other good stuff, I would also urge you to go and pre-order a copy of Bay Area Godfather. You can either stream it right now, or uh, I don't know if it's the whole COVID thing that we kind of alluded to at the beginning of the show with the part two, but, uh, you know, part one got released on October 6th, but it looks like the physical copies aren't shipping right now. Checking this morning as I'm putting this together, it looks like they're going to start to ship around November 9th. And I'm hoping that that date shifts forward quite a bit because I'm definitely looking forward to not only just watching the documentary, but, uh, you know, with the streaming and stuff, you can't get to see all the extras. And there's usually a ton of great stuff in the extras on every one of Bob's Inside Metal documentaries. And, you know, if you want to and you haven't checked them out, then uh, you could stream all of the other Inside LA Metal ones that he's got, which is a three-part one that he did coming from the Pioneers all the way through the Thrash. And you can stream most of that stuff as well right now in all those services or You can go up and order your own copies, either Amazon, all those places, as well as over at Metal Rock Films. So next week, we will actually be running the show that I originally mixed, mastered, ready to go for this week. And that is Richie's Talk with Steve Pilkington, all about his brand new book. It's actually been out over across the pond now for a bit, but it gets released here in the U.S. on the 28th. So we'll be talking to Steve Pilkington all about uh, his new Iron Maiden book. And, uh, you know, since Steve's also done books on a lot of other bands as well, including one of Richie's favorites, that being Deep Purple, Richie really slides in a little bit of Deep Purple and Rainbow questions in there as well. But a good episode coming up next week with author Steve Pilkington. As I said, originally scheduled to do it this week. All mixed, mastered, ready to go. Packages ready to go out. The whole nine yards. And always things pop in and, you know, have the opportunity to talk to Bob. Uh, Hannah over at the PR agency set it up really quickly and turned this thing around. That within uh, Probably within about 24 hours had this thing all scheduled and on the phone with Bob. And amazingly, even, you know, the night before release date as well. So he had to be incredibly busy. Took over an hour of time to shoot the shit, as Bob always does. And that's how we arrived at a Bay Area Godfathers episode this week, rather than the uh, originally scheduled Iron Maiden one. So anyways, thanks for listening. Uh, That will do it for this week. That's right, stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. Play a little bit of Van Halen. Stay safe. And as always, remember... Focus on metal! Everything else is insignificant.
different than most people, kind of unique or whatever, doing the, the finger stuff on the fingerboard, you know, or whatever. Nobody really did it until I did. Now everyone does it. Thank you. 